ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The term Stockholm Syndrome has become a phrase we throw around to describe people in toxic relationships and bad jobs. But originally, it was a diagnosis for a young woman who fell for her captor during a week-long bank heist. But it turns out the psychologist who first invented the term never even met the woman. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, a show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So what's the history of this strange syndrome? Is it an early understanding of what we now call coercive control? Or is it all just a sexist myth? One person who has fallen in love with learning all about this, or has she, is Beck Armitage. Hey, Beck. Hello, how are you? I'm good. So let's talk about the origin story of Stockholm Syndrome, which unsurprisingly, starts in Sweden. So I actually read about the origins of Stockholm Syndrome probably about a year and a half ago, but I was so stunned because I just thought this was a legitimate condition. I had no idea that there was more to it. So I literally thought, okay, I want to report this story for the ABC website. So it all started on one day in August 1973, and it would last six and a half days. So this notorious safecracker called Jan Eriks Olsen walked into a bank in Stockholm and he's got a gun, explosives, a knife and ropes. And he takes four of the bank tellers hostage and he tells everyone else to go. And it's important to note that this kind of thing didn't really happen in Sweden at the time or now, like it's a very peaceful country. So the police weren't super experienced at this kind of thing. And it meant that the bank was absolutely surrounded by media. So Jan had a few demands. He wanted $3.4 million, two guns, two bulletproof vests and a Ford Mustang. I mean, he's got class. Is, oh, look, I mean, is there anything cooler than a Ford Mustang? <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, it's pretty 70s, it's pretty groovy. But he makes this kind of curly request in that he wants a famous gangster and robber called Clark Olufsen to be released from his prison cell and brought to the bank. And weirdly, police agree to do it, which sounds weird, but, you know, it is the 70s. So they go to his jail cell, they get this guy out. He seems pretty confused. The police suspect he might be involved, but he's like, I don't really know what's happening right now, but sure, I'll go to the bank. So he goes in and he's under instructions from police to bring this to a peaceful end. But once he walks into the bank, that's when things really spiral out of control. What happens? Okay, so the key sticking point is that Jan wants to take the four hostages, Clark and the Mustang, all out of the bank. And I think he's thinking here is they're not going to shoot me if I'm surrounded by innocent people. But police and the Swedish government won't allow him to take them out. So the siege just goes on and on and on. And one of the hostages was a 23-year-old woman called Kristen Enmark. So she's working at the bank as a stenographer. She kind of hated it there. Like, she's just gone through a breakup. She really wants to quit. She's like, I've got a few weeks and then I'm going to go back to uni. And then this guy comes into her life. And the thing about Kristen is she's very young, but she's very, very headstrong. She's got a bit of an anti-authority streak. You know, she's really smart. She wants a say in what happens. She asks questions. And so there comes a point during the siege where she starts to have serious doubts about the police. And the thing that turns everyone against the police is that they didn't know who Jan was. He was wearing this disguise. Was he wearing like a fake moustache and glasses? Literally a fake (laughs) moustache, glasses, and he's speaking in an American accent. I don't think it was a good one, but they're like, I don't know who this guy is. Like He he seems very foreign to us. (laughs) 
So at some point they go through all the Swedish bank robbers they know of and they, they're like, I think it's this guy, it's this guy. But the guy they think it is is actually in Hawaii. He's not even in Sweden. It's not him. But they get this guy's 16-year-old brother to go into the bank unannounced. So this kid just rocks into the bank in the middle of a siege and Jan freaks out, shoots him or shoots at him and misses. The kid runs away. But at this point, Kristen's like, I don't know about this. I don't think these cops know what they're doing. And the other hostages agree. So what she does is call the Swedish prime minister to yell at him. That's her conclusion of what needs to be done. And because it's the 70s, you can actually get through and have a 45-minute conversation with him. Is it weird that I love her? Oh, I'm obsessed with her. She's so cool. <laughs> and they act, the police recorded this conversation. So there is a transcript. And she's just so cool. She's saying to him, I'm very disappointed in you. You're playing checkers with our lives. I trust Clark and the robber. I'm not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. But you know, Olaf, what I'm scared of is that the police will attack and call cause us to die. So how did we get from this, like, amazing, headstrong, very young woman and this siege to a term that we just kind of throw around when we think that someone's boyfriend's a bit toxic? So basically what happens is the cops decide the only way to bring this to an end is to drop tear gas into the bank. And the hostages were saying, please don't do this, because they had to drill through the ceiling. So it took like two days. So they're just sitting in this bank, listening to this drilling. Jan's getting more and more agitated. He's threatening to kill people. They're like, please don't do this. But the cops decide this is the only way to do it. So they drop the tear gas. It does work in the sense that it brings the siege to an end. But right before the tear gas fell from the, the roof, Jan put Kristen in a noose and threatened to kill her. And she really thought she was going to die. But when the moment came, when the gas came down, he couldn't do it. Either he couldn't do it because he got too scared to do it or he was overcome by the gas. But the thing is, she was taken out of the bank in a stretcher, but she refused to lie down. And there's this absolutely incredible photo of her just sitting with this stony-faced expression on a stretcher being pushed into an ambulance. And she just looks so angry. And she talked to the press because the entire time this is happening, the press is outside the bank. And she said, the police are responsible for this. They've done a terrible job. They put my life at risk. So once that happens, the media then goes to a guy called Nils Bergerot, who was a psychologist brought in to handle the siege. And he diagnoses all the hostages on the spot with Stockholm Syndrome, which is a condition that he's just made up on the spot. So Nils Bergerot has sort of given this diagnosis. How did he define it at the time? Basically what he says is that Stockholm Syndrome is a condition between a captor and a captive. And the captive will form a bond of friendship during this protracted siege. So the more time they spend together, the more sympathy, uh, the more friendship develops between them. And, you know, that might have been it. But the thing is, about six months later, uh, an American heiress called Patty Hearst was kidnapped by a terrorist organisation. Uh, they held her for several months and then they forced her to help them rob a bank. And she was charged with bank robbery and she went to court. And the term Stockholm Syndrome was brought up by the media. I don't think she ever said that that's what happened. She basically said she was coerced into doing it because she was literally just trying to stay alive. But that's kind of when it goes viral. So how does this idea actually stack up with psychologists these days? Is Stockholm Syndrome a genuine disorder? 
So technically, no. The way we understand psychological conditions is that they are entered into something called the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. If you've never heard of the DSM, this is basically a handbook that is used by all healthcare professionals in the US and much of the Western world. And it's considered sort of the authoritative guide on the treatment of mental conditions. And if you're not in the book, you don't technically exist. Like in the case of the Stockholm siege, Those people were captive with that guy or those two guys for six days. They're sharing a space together. They would have been cooperating to an extent. How do psychologists explain that behaviour if Stockholm Syndrome isn't what we sort of understand it to be culturally? Yeah, so I think it's important to distinguish between the two robbers. So Kristen said that she was terrified of Jan the entire time. Clark was while he was a criminal with a known past, he was kind of just pulled into this thing and she said that he was very comforting to her, that he kept Jan as as calm as was possible. So I think they did kind of forge a bond. But the thing is, she said, you know, she doesn't really talk much publicly, but what she said is she did what it took to survive. And Jan, he was interviewed by The New Yorker about a year after the bank siege, and he said, they made it hard to kill. They made us go on living together day after day like goats in that filth. There was nothing to do but get to know each other. And I think that's key, is that by making herself a human being, you know, he had a noose around her neck, he could have killed her, but when the time came, he couldn't do it because he spent six days with her and she, as many women do, she tried to talk her way out of the situation. She didn't have the physical strength to get herself out of that, but she could talk to him. So we spoke to Jess Hill. She's a researcher who focuses on domestic violence. And she said that the men, the authority figures in this situation, were trying to pathologise the victims because they didn't understand what was going on. And they were also potentially trying to cover up their own poor rescue mission. We've also spoken to Dr. Alan Wade. He's a Canadian family therapist, but he's spent a lot of time with Kristen. She doesn't really do a lot of media, but she's spoken a lot to him. And he thinks it was just a matter of, you know, they just couldn't grapple with this 23-year-old girl. You know, she's tiny. She's got this little brown pixie cut, but she was just so vocal and she was questioning authority. And they said the only possibility is that she's fallen in love with the kidnapper. (laughs) It couldn't possibly be that she's got a mind of her own. It really does speak to this idea that, I mean, we're talking about something that's literally 50 years ago, but even today, that we still don't really understand how our brains work and there's still a real cultural lens that we put over how women's brains work. Yeah, and I think as a society we've evolved on our understanding of coercive control and domestic violence and people who don't really know a lot about that might think, well, I'd just walk away or I'd fight back. But I don't think you'd really know what you're going to do until you're in a situation where a man's holding a submachine gun to your head Like, you're going to do whatever it takes to survive. And if you're smaller, physically weaker, your option may only be to make yourself a human being to him, to talk to him, to see if you can convince him not to do this. 50 years down the track, like, what do we take away from this story now? I think my main takeaway is that this is a cultural term. It's not a medical diagnosis. There are some psychologists who believe in it. The FBI classifies it as a potential condition, but it is a social thing. It is, and it is from the 20th century. And I think as a society, as we grow to understand things like coercive control and the way we behave in situations that are incredibly stressful, we probably just need to realise it's actually not a psychological condition. It's just a cultural trope. Beck, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.